A good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance? Join the authors of Design to Change and explore this series of conversations with designers and event owners. Driven by the need and conversations with event owners and event designers who use the event canvas around the world, this series explores the depths of conversations to elevate your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Episodes are hosted by Rude Janssen, Rul Friesen, Dennis Lehrer, and Paul Rukens, with illustrious changemakers, designers, and pioneers in the field of design and beyond. To explore these conversations and additional content, visit designtochange.online. For now, let's start the conversation. All right, live from IMAX 23, here we are around the table uh, in Hall 9, uh, the 20th edition of IMAX. And across from me sits Thomas Lantaler from the Crisis Compass, uh, together with my colleague uh, Rolf Frissen, who's currently taking a selfie. And you cannot see that when we're recording the podcast. But uh, welcome to this little audio bubble. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, now, Rulin and yourself have been talking a little bit before, uh, as, as we were bumping into each other here on, at IMAX. The theme of IMAX 23 is human nature. Um, you address human nature in a various uh, amount of ways. As a speaker here at IMAX in this experiential hall, tell us, what are the topics that are currently being addressed by you at IMAX? Well, um, my, my topics here are coming from the crisis management side, because that's what I've done for years. I have, I've worked in crisis management all over the world. So I talk here about resilience, resilience in teams, resilience in organizations. Mm-hmm. And I talk, and that's kind of the topic close to my heart, I talk for learning from children, mm-hmm. skills that we can learn from children, both as leaders and as people and adults in general. So it's cross-generational. Absolutely. Um, it is also, I mean, the crises you manage professionally, um, maybe even personally, uh, have rocket-fueled maybe the knowledge you have around this. What, um, what kind of crises have you recently seen that we need to be aware of? I think that, for me, my mission in a way is to actually demystify the term crisis. Because in a way we are constantly in a crisis, because the way I define it, it's a change. Change of a system, a change of, of uh, the way we work. Um, so these, these things are happening all the time and you you work in change, mm-hmm. uh, both of you, so you know that that's very important and the skills that, that it takes to address the human side of it, to actually not forget that it's not all about system, let's say for example digital transformation, so I'm pretty sure whatever happens in the sphere of AI right now will cause a crisis, mm-hmm. not necessarily a negative one, but something that means we have to rethink how we do things, roles, work how it affects us privately. And I think all those things, they fall into this sphere of change and they fall into this broader concept of I would label it as crisis, not necessarily not something negative. Just to, for clarification, like you, so for me, crisis has a very bad meaning. So, mm-hmm. right? so you change it to change, right? So you call it mm-hmm. change. So why is, why is that crisis is so, yeah, do people have a bad feeling with the word of crisis? Well, the history of crisis, the term crisis means it was just, it's a turning point. So basically it's, it's a completely neutral term in its, in its core. Um, later on, it became over the years, I think would say most recently, it became something negative. Because the, the, the problem is that we often wait with the change until it is inevitable. And then it, the panic kicks in. And it has to happen quickly, 
and it has to happen from today to tomorrow and we are actually overwhelmed this is what happened recently when you look when you zoom out and look at all the crises that happened let's say let's take the pandemic biggest crisis we have faced recently um, what really was the problem was that our systems weren't prepared for what was needed from us it's as simple as that and we came to a point where it was inevitable to address that mm-hmm. because we were confronted with with a threat from the outside so crisis is ultimately a change that's overthrowing the system and that's inevitable and that's all there is to it but you can actually work to prepare it and make it on the one hand that's why I talk about resilience you can make teams and companies more resilient by focusing on habits that make you less vulnerable to disruptions that's one of the biggest problems with crisis the disruption of companies so we can't continue our work because we have to focus with that new situation mm-hmm. but there is actually ways you can you can circumvent it and you can prepare and get ready for it so a crisis is only a crisis when it's too late right if you don't change in time then before it's, and then it's too late and then it becomes a crisis it makes me think about of what on the quote of dr thomas bach on the back of our book right you yes. want to be the leader of change and not the object that, of change that's that's a perfect mindset that really yeah. really is very similar to the approach that i take in my work which is use crisis as a means of reinvention mm-hmm. and don't don't react to it actually take your matters in your own hand because if there's one thing that isn't written yet that's the future mm-hmm. so if you start writing it yourself you're the leader of change you're not the object What's well, interesting, we're sitting here at the Event Design Collective stand. Behind us, you might hear some chatter and noise from uh, teams that are actually designing the World Education Congress 2027. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has been a repetitive kind of exercise uh, periodically that we've done with MPI, um, where the destination is unknown, right? So, um, and by getting the input of people to maybe get their readiness more ready than they were yesterday. I think that's almost the, the concept in the book where we talk about the readiness test. Mm-hmm. Um, really appeals to me when you're talking about crisis as a turning point. And it's just a timing issue, right? Mm-hmm. It's You haven't prepped maybe enough to um, to be ready for that turning point. Yeah. Also makes me think of all like during the crisis, uh, or I mean, we've been working online for a long time. We're, we're a digital company. And it almost seemed like the way we work didn't dramatically change, except mm-hmm. for that we couldn't or didn't leave our homes or offices uh, during that time. And instead of panicking, we decided to write this book, which was long overdue because we had too much traveling going on and couldn't write down the conversations between 500 event owners and event designers and their frustrations around that. Um, so a crisis is also an opportunity. Always. Or it can be an opportunity. Providing, what you're saying, you're not overwhelmed by this inevitable change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what causes the state of being overwhelmed? What is uh, what I notice in my work is that, and that's also my my own experience, right? Because I I it did kind of the same process that you did. I used the pandemic also to write my own book because I'm like, yeah, I stuck at home anyway, so I might just do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and for me, this was a reflection process over my practice as crisis manager. And one of the things that I noticed when I became overwhelmed was that I had an external focus that means like I focused on a context that I couldn't influence and that's what I often often see companies leaders do that when they get overwhelmed they try to look at look at things that they don't have any impact influence over there's mm-hmm. no leverage there mm-hmm. so first thing they have to do is to redirect the focus of what is it actually that I can do mm-hmm. I give you an example I was I always mention an example of the travel restrictions during the pandemic mm-hmm. so when I talk to leaders about so what's your problem right now most of them would say like well it's the travel restrictions 
And I would challenge them, like, is there anything you can do about this? No. So I'm like, so then it's not your problem. Try to reframe. Mm -hmm. And after a while, we, reframing, we came to the point, it's like, so, well, my problem is what can I do to continue my work despite the re travel restrictions being in place, which is a very different problem st uh, statement than the travel restrictions as such. Yes. Because all of a sudden you look like, what's my scope of influence? So you're not looking at something where you have no influence over, yeah. where you can't do anything about, but you actually look at your space. And that, that's the moment when things start to change, both mentally and when you actually start having an impact because there is things, there's always something you can do, yeah. even, uh, even as small as it might be. Yeah. But once you start getting doing something, then, you, uh, then you're already on the right track to really take over ownership over the crisis again. So many of our listeners um, are very eloquent in the language of event design. Mm -hmm. they are, many of them are certified event designers. And many, many people acknowledge the fact that events are agents of change, but they, ha they have, often have to deal with clients, or internal clients, who um, don't embrace change so much, at least when it comes to events. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm triggered by the, your comment on crisis and change. Um, how would you, what would you, your advice be to our listeners when it comes to crisis avoidance, right? So how do you um, show people that they are approaching a turning point? Because the turning point, I like the turning point metaphor. Um, how, what would your advice be to make people aware that if you don't act now, then it might be turning into a crisis. So what, what I write in my book about is uh, what I call habitual readiness. So it's basically adopting habits that make you understand that things are about to change, but actually at the same time demystify it. So for example, it could be as simple a habit as constantly question your assumptions. Because a, a lot of the crises that we're facing are based on assumptions, right? Mm -hmm. This is not going to work. Or mental models, as we've discussed earlier before we started the podcast, mm -hmm. is we have these mental models and they're necessary. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, very often, they're also the blockers for us to see innovations, to see actually options, mm -hmm. because we think we cannot do it differently. Yeah. So constantly questioning those mental models is, for example, something that gets you in a ready mind state. And then when yeah. the crisis comes, you, you're not as surprised anymore. You're yeah. already... You're just continuing what you're doing, so you're not disrupted from, from any other process. You don't have to drop everything and start worrying. So you basically, how should I say, you subtly get them into a state of mental readiness. Mm -hmm. I, I like also to play with MacGyver. I'm, I'm that old that I still know MacGyver. Um, and and his, he had that state, right? He portrayed a character where, where that state was possible. So it's like, whatever resources you have, that's another thing. Very, very important to everybody's out there and, and every client. I have... I've worked with so many clients in my career and I've never ever met one that was, uh, was aware of all the resources they had available. Because we're not, we're not doing this, we don't do a resource inventory. Mm -hmm. Like a simple question for the listeners, uh, well, just write down how many languages are spoken within your team. Mm -hmm. My bet is you don't know that. Mm -hmm. Because we don't know what people bring with in their backpacks. Yeah. So taking a resource inventory is crucial because it can help you in a crisis it can actually prepare you better because all of a sudden you know like oh this is what we have available we can do something and what you have is always good enough so it's, it's a lot about you here it's a lot about mindsets and habits and things you can do to get yourself in a ready state that whenever some big change comes you just more or less continue like like you've done before so on the, on the, uh, I hope you don't mind if I, I have another question on that go ahead like the, the, the constantly question assumptions do you have a technique you use for that um, is that something you use in your regular practice? It's, it's really as simple, like, for example, do we know or do we assume? 
And, I'm, and the thing is, what often is assumed that when I question assumptions, I mean I can't work with that. That's not true. I just need to know that it's an assumption because that makes me less vulnerable to if it doesn't work out. And I actually can say like, mm, I don't know that, I assume that, but let's go with it. Because if it doesn't work out, then there's other things that go on. So it's, it's really, it's all about like getting that, that mindset in. So if we were to sit and we would, for example, play with an idea and we start being creative, I would just probably always throw in like, do we know or do we assume? Because what I've very often seen in crisis response or in crisis management is that solutions are being built on house of, houses of cards. Mm. So it's like, for example, a simple assumption could be like, I have access to that particular resource that I need to manage that crisis. But when I don't own the resource, that's an assumption. Mm -hmm. And we've seen in the pandemic very, very well that people got very particular with their own resources. The sharing wasn't so big anymore. So building your solution on something like that can be very dangerous. So yeah. it's, it's really all, always about like going into that state. Do I know? Do I assume? It's not more complicated than that. So a question about, uh, what, what's the title of your book? Navigating Beyond Crisis. Navigating Beyond Crisis. Um, I found it fascinating, earlier you talked about you know, these, these habitual readiness things that you do, right? So uh, you also mentioned that, you know, uh, if I can go more in the personal zone, that sure. having kids or you know, your habitual readiness as a parent is something that you cannot really train for, or, or maybe you can, I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> how has helping, uh, or how has having kids uh, as a father made you more habitually ready for your maybe second or first kid? Or was there, was there something that you got from that experience? Oh, I, how much time do you have? Um, <laughs> no, I think it's, it's, I mean, being a parent was in a way the biggest crisis of my life, but not in a negative way. Turning but it point. was a turning point. <laughs> it was just, I was not, I mean, you can read everything you want about parenting, but you will never be prepared because every, every child is different on top of it, right? Um, what, what helped me is, of course, I, I started observing them and what I noticed, um, this was also where my passion comes in for it, what I noticed is that basically children are crisis managers in action because, I mean, their world, let's, let's break it down. They come, to, come into this world, they know nothing. So everything they do for the first years of their life is in a way characterized by unknown, mm -hmm. by the uncertainty, by constantly changing rules, by new explorations that they're making, and they have to deal with all of it at the same time. Which are all characteristics if we translate it into, for example, what we talked about during the pandemic, how we labeled the situation. We don't know, there's so much unknown, everything changes all the time. And they navigate it without having any prior knowledge. Yeah. So I was, I was really curious about how are you doing this? And there's a few simple things that they do that I think we also do as adults, but we have forgotten so far. One of the core things is called anchoring. So, you know, when kids go from A to B, the smaller they are, they often carry things with them. It could be anything, a blanket, a teddy bear, a stick, it doesn't really matter. Because the only function that thing has is it gives them an anchor, something to hold on to. As adults, for example, when we have presentations, we also like to hold something in our hands. It really is as simple as that, that it gives us a bit of comfort, mm -hmm. it gives us something to hold on to. And that skill is crucial in a crisis. Yeah. And it can be anything, but what is most effective for, for example, teams and companies is their purpose. Yeah. So saying like, so what is our purpose? Let's remind ourselves why we're doing this, right? Yeah, why are we going from, uh, where are we going from here? What's our vision? And that re really anchors. So has made me more resilient because I learned a lot of skills from them for dealing with the unknown, so to say. So, um, let's say, if, if purpose can be an anchor, like a blanket or a toy can be an anchor for a kid, um, 
how does how does the purpose become um, blanket-like for people in that same organization, right? Because that's part of the challenge, I think, is yeah. when you're navigating you know, that future state with so many unknowns, uh, holding on to an anchor can also keep you back, right? It can also mm-hmm. make you not explore what options there could be out there. Because mm-hmm. as a one-year-old, when you just learn to walk, you have no idea what it's like to get in a car and drive, for instance, right? So. For me, the, the purpose is very, that's a, that's a great question. For me, the purpose is that it's not only the, the typical why, why that Simon Sinek talks about, right? Mm-hmm. It's, for me, it's more than that. It's also what drives me. It's also like, what's my motivation to do this? So why did I start my company? Mm-hmm. What did I want to head out to do? Mm-hmm. And that's, ironically enough, that's one of the first things we forget when we are faced with crisis. Because we focus on the context demands this of us, right? Yeah. But we're not going back to like, why am I here in the first place? Like, what drives me to do this? Like, do I still want to, con- to continue to do this or not? And if so, what are my options of doing it? So if I'm like my own company, right? I was, I, I had this company during the pandemic that I started 10 years ago and, and it was really struggling because uh, we were very well set up in one country, but not in, in Norway where I lived, right? Mm-hmm. So I was, I, w- I had to think like, so what am I going to do with this? And for me, it was really like, is my driver to hold on to this company mm-hmm. and sit on top of this chair like because it's mine or is my driver to actually build something that works has sustainability and continues to exist mm-hmm. and for that my decision in the end had to be I had to step down as, as the CEO and ultimately had also later on uh, because of my own choice I sold my share in the company because it was for me it was more important that this thing continues to exist that I had started to build mm-hmm. and not my own driver was like, oh, I want to be sitting on the chair because we wouldn't be existing anymore if I had done that. Mm-hmm. So it was really going back to that, what is at the core of it? Yeah. Why did I do that to begin with? So that yeah. that's one way of looking at, at purpose as well. I like that a lot. This, um, maybe back back to the to the children, right? The children and the, the generational gap maybe. Because sometimes in organizations or... Um, I was just speaking to Paul van de Venter, um, and one of the classic questions that always sparks joy is, how are the grandkids doing, right? It seems like the intergenerational gap of two is much easier than the generational gap of one when it comes to uh, supporting crises of turning points or whatever it might be, right, between the yeah. one generation gap. Absolutely. Um, is, that, is that a habitual um, readiness issue, do you think, or is that something else? I think it's a responsibility issue. Mm-hmm. first and foremost because I think like you have sweets standing here and this mm-hmm. makes me think of my mother because mm-hmm. when I grew up I was, she was very strict on sweets mm-hmm. but now when I show up with my kids at her house they're showered in sweets yeah. I'm like so what's going on right <laughs> and she's like well now we can in a way now we can be we can, they can focus more on the relationship because they, they, they have all the, the responsibility aspects unless they're watching them but the worries are different the responsibility is different they're not, it's not their main task anymore to raise these kids and make these kids turn these kids into something for the future. Mm-hmm. They're contributing, but they're not the main, the main owners anymore. Yeah. So that gives them a lot of freedom to experiment, to innovate, and to actually, uh, well, spoil the kids, so to say. <laughs> it's a great, great way to portray that problem. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Yeah, and and can, you, can you give another, another example how you... How you um, use analogies you have with uh, with kids and which you can use in professional life? Sticking with crisis management, one of the biggest myths that I like to bust is that emotions are 
should be left out of crisis management. Everything should be done rationally. It's not possible. It's as simple as that. I, I've been a crisis manager for almost 15 years. I've had very complex situations to handle and I can safely say that I've never taken a rational decision in those situations because I was emotionally affected as well. Yeah. So ignoring that fact I think is a huge blind spot. Mm. Looking at children, they carry their emotions on their sleeves. So there's a lot of drama happening in kindergartens and in schools and I always know about it because my kids still have the ability to actually show them very clearly their emotions. Yeah. And if I want something from them, I have to explore it. I think I, think I mentioned to you before in our conversation, if you want to, if you want to have kids to, to work with you or follow you and they are actually crying or they're, they're happy, it doesn't really matter which emotion it is, you need to meet them in the emotion first. And it's the exact same thing with adults. So if I have a crisis team and my crisis team is scared, they will not come up with solutions. They won't, unless I meet and acknowledge. Often, it's, often that's enough to acknowledge the emotion. We don't even have to explore it. Mm -hmm. But if you manage to explore it as a leader, you might find the solution to the problem on the other side of it. Because yeah. there's something we are afraid of. And the question is, what are we afraid of? And that might sometimes also be the, 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 the solution to the problem. So I'm really encouraging all leaders, even team members, to not be afraid to actually meet emotions. Of course, there's always something we, how we express them, but don't dismiss them, because they will always come back. That's, that's the thing. They will always come back, and then they're even more difficult to handle. So if you have emotional responses, take a moment. There's also another myth. There's always time in a crisis. We often have like, oh, that we don't have time in a crisis. Yes, we do have time, mm -hmm. even if it's just a moment. Mm -hmm. Acknowledge the emotion, even your own. Mm -hmm. right? don't, don't pack it away, because it, it's not a good thing. So really, that's that's also something that I I learned from children. I must say, I, I've got two um, teenagers. Um, I must say, I'm, I'm a happy father. Not, not 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 experiencing too much trouble yet. <laughs> <laughs> Knock on wood. Um, but I, I I was thinking when you when you were um, telling your story, um, how uh, how about a story like the water fountain that the plumber is always leaks, or the sh the, the, the shoes the shoe salesman that has always broken shoes. How is that you, for, with you as a father? Like, can you use, do you really use what you speak about? Do you practice what you preach? Um, to a certain degree, yes. I've gotten better at that. But of course, this is the typical thing. Like, we, we all have it in all professions, right? We're always better coaches than we are basically clients. But I have really, because of this process, this reflection process, I've also tried to break it down to a point which, is, which makes it easy to use. So, and one of the habits that I write about in my book is I also have to cut myself some slack. Right, so if I don't do it, I don't do it. But it, it's often the awareness that I need, and I'm really trying to also practice this myself. But sure, I mean, emotional states, we all know it, right? Sometimes I, I'm also not able to actually focus what's at hand, what I can do, but I get more distracted about everything else. But then it's really this, this reminders. And my wife is very great at that. She, she, she read my book, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, it's, not, it's not a given. Um, and she always reminds me of those things. She's like, well, you write about this. So, well, go on your zone of leverage. So where's your zone of leverage now, right? Okay, fair enough, good point. So if you have people like that around you, that helps. It's a very important life lesson to give yourself some slack in many, in yeah. many, many, uh, many circumstances. Absolutely. There's always times in a crisis. So always. what would your piece of advice be for um, the listeners in this podcast are often confronted with event designs and wants and needs of event owners who say, oh, we should do this event. And you know, they might have an idea that they express more or less eloquently in terms of mm -hmm. what they want from the event or what they need from the event. 
Uh, but then very often that in itself, the question might create a turning point or a crisis for an events team or for, pe for people that then pick up the ball and start running with it because events have a lot of risk mm -hmm. and a lot of reward when they're done properly, but there's risk and reward on both sides. What would be your take on conversations with event owners when it comes to prepping that, that you know, turning point or prepping that crisis point? I, I think I would just uh, try to not feel the unknown with too many assumptions. Mm -hmm. So really, just create it. Yeah. Follow ideas. Another lesson that, that kids are beautiful at, right? So okay. they, they don't work in plans. Sure, yeah, everything has to be planned. But, but follow an idea first before you map it out completely. Because mm -hmm. sometimes you're killing ideas before you actually really try them, and they could yeah. be great ones. Yeah. And sometimes you actually think it's a great idea and it turns out really not to be the case. But you have already planned it, so you have to go through with it. Yeah. So it's really about not going too much into the things we don't know, yeah. but really create them and fill them with ideas rather than with the assumptions of what's going to happen. Awesome. Well, these are real nuggets that you know people that came here to IMAX could have heard firsthand when they go to your sessions. Um, what are some of the upcoming sessions you're doing at three o'clock this afternoon? Three o'clock this afternoon, I do an ideation session about how we can how we can make remote teams more resilient. Uh, won't be me doing much of the talking. I think the people will that will show up will hopefully create some ideas. And tomorrow I talk about lessons from from uh, children and have a second session on. Resilience in organizations, also an ideation session. Fantastic. Well, um, say hi to our friends at Encore for the ideation session, we'll which is just across the hall here in Hall 9. Um, the atmosphere, just human nature is what the topic is here, right? Mm -hmm. So if you would have to capture the atmosphere of what, we're, what you're feeling right now, what, what, how would you describe that? I think there's a lot of energy, uh, energy here. People are excited. I actually came quite early this morning so I was really all everybody was on a mission. So people came in and they were really they were eager. Yeah. Some were even skipping lines to get to the registration. So I think there's a lot of people are keen on really exploring and getting inspiration and getting new ideas and perspectives. Awesome. Well I think um, Thomas you've captured that well. Uh, it sounds like you're on a mission and Absolutely. I think your mission is very aligned with the turning points that many of our listeners might encounter. Uh, don't let them turn into crises. Don't let them turn into crises. You have time <laughs> in a crisis. Always. <laughs> Address the emotions. There's a couple of really good sticky points that you've mentioned and highly appreciate that. We'll make sure to include the link to your book at the bottom of the notes of this uh, podcast. Thank you. Um, and people, can they re reach you on LinkedIn maybe? Yeah, or they, reach please, out to you? please connect on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm, I'm always open and looking for new connections. So yeah, I'd be grateful for that. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, Thank Thomas you from the, the Crisis com Compass. Um, live here from IMAX 2023 in its 20th edition. So happy birthday, IMAX. Happy birthday. <laughs> You've been hanging out backstage on Design to Change Designer Conversations. Thank you for tuning in and don't forget to subscribe and share conversations online using hashtag Design to Change and hashtag Event Canvas. Want more thought-provoking content like this? Visit designtochange.online to purchase your copy of Design to Change, elevating your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Don't forget it's more than just a book. Experience a hard copy, audio format, video format, and even augmented reality. Experience it in your style and format. Tune into our next episodes and hear from more designers and change makers. Until then, we look forward to our next conversation.